Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers from FasterSkier.com. Devin and I are back this week with Catherine Stewart-Jones, who's had a breakout season racing for the Canadians on the World Cup. We break down three races over the weekend in Falun, Sweden. Hear a little bit from Catherine about her season of racing, and we'll be back after Tuesday's City Sprint in Tallinn, Estonia. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you or a skier you know looking to extend your cross-country racing career? The Craftsbury Green Racing Project is now accepting applications for the 2023-24 training year from skiers and biathletes who can receive coaching, wax support, and room and board. Whether you're interested in the traditional Green Racing Project residential approach or off-campus options offering those with an existing career a way to be part of the team, the Green Racing Project is eager to talk with you. The Green Racing Project also has summer options for under-23 skiers and biathletes pursuing college degrees while competing at a high level. Learn more about your options and apply today at greenracingproject.com. Hey, champ. Who's, who's the champ here? Let's be, let's be real. You know what? Let's be real who the champ is this season. Like I almost shed a tear, not because I miss it, although I do love biathlon, but watching the, the biathlon season enders, mass start, a lot of big names in biathlon leaving the sport, ex-cross-country skier, Denise Herman, Vic now, but uh, total legend biathlon. Yeah, so a lot of women leaving, but I, I shed a tear because it's like, I love Nordic skiing and we're still talking about Nordic skiing, but like this, man, I'm on fumes over here. It would have been nice to just end the season the same time the bathlon ended the season. You could go back to political reporting, for example. You don't have to see my ugly mug anymore for a bit. Like, but here we are. Here we are. Another weekend. Another weekend done. Yeah. This is like we're in the ski classics uh of of podcasting here. It's uh it's it's a marathon. Um marathon. Actually, before we start. There's two things um, about ski classics. One, no, we're not going to go all into like how the Birkin ended up, Birkebeiner ended up, which is one of the monuments. There's three monuments in the ski classics. But I had to mention Asterdorish Lind wins the Birkebeiner. Like the her season. Smashes the Birkebeiner. Smashes the Birkebeiner. But her season, that is like mind blow. Like she's 35. I mean, I'm just, we're broken records on this, but we have to spend one minute. Like, she medals individually for the first time in her first world championships of her life at 35 in the skiathlon. Then she follows that relay. I mean, they win relay gold, which is pretty huge. Then she does the 30K classic, jumps on a private jet, competes in the 90 kilometer Vassalopitan. Three hours. Yeah, sleeps three hours, ends up fifth. The week later, like seven days later, six days later, sorry because that was on Sunday. Yeah. So like the fall, the next Sunday, she's competing in home and colon for the first ever 50 K and she's within 0.2 seconds of taking the first ever victory. Anyway, she's second in maybe, in maybe, maybe should have slept longer than three hours the previous yeah. week is what she yeah. said. And anyways, comes second in home and colon and then follows that up a week later with not just winning, but like you said, smashing the Birkebeiner, which is 54K classic race, which she double pulls, which is also crazy because it's up and over this like kind of mountain. She's the real deal. And I don't know how it's possible. Like, honestly, I, I like a late career resurgence like this, not just resurgence, 
I mean, she's been a talented skier forever, but like, this isn't a resurgence. This is like a smash. This, this is like Shaq dunking and the backboard shattering, but it's not Shaq that's doing it. It's like, I don't know. Some, Very genial Norwegian yeah, exactly. woman. Exactly. Uh, so anyways, so, that, so we had to cover that. And the other thing too, before we get into what happened in Falun this weekend, I got an email from a Norwegian listener in Norwegian and he actually had like a really interesting suggestion because our big rant on, on home and colon and how FIS has to put both 50 K's on the same day because everyone deserves to have like this kind of uh, atmosphere that you wrote so eloquently about in the New York times. I hope you got some good feedback over that. Yeah. Yeah. Shake it off, baby. Um, but you know, he was, he, he made a great suggestion. I, I won't, I won't call him out because he didn't ask to do that, that this would be public or anything, but he sent it to our, to our, our email. And he's like in, in ski classics, in these ski classics, like the Brickabiner that just happened, which is filmed, the men and women start on the same day. And it's like, five minutes apart or 15 minutes apart. It depends on the race and the length and stuff. And we have the technology and the wherewithal to follow both races at the same time. Look at New York marathon. It was the New York city half marathon this, this weekend today in New York city. And they can film the men and women like they can do this. And in marathon majors, they do it. It was an awesome suggestion. And I have to admit, like it was something I never once thought about. Like, if you're going to get the women to do the 50 K at the most iconic, and we want to build this thing up, like we've been talking about, like, like really build up home and colon in the lore and let the women and men both experience everything that is great about home and colon. Why don't we start the women 10 minutes after the men? And like the men that are just getting shelled will be like those pro marathoners that get shelled in the New York marathon. And you're seeing them back with the women. Like, you know what I mean? It's sweet. It's, On the one hand, I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this. On the other hand, I'm like, Fisk can't even get the graphics up when Martin Lostrom Yenget is finishing an individual start in Falloon. And so do we really think we could trust them to execute execute this kind of thing? uh, I couldn't trust Fisk, but I could trust Norwegian. Like, I I trust NRK, honestly, Mm. production, I do. Although... Yeah. I too made a note on my like little notepad over here about the Nyanga thing. And like Falun also knows skiing. And like, I don't know if that was just a fake or what happened there, but that was outrageous. <laughs> but anyway, it's an interesting idea. And these are kind of discussions I think should be happening because, and I know what's going to say, it's like, you know, no, we want the women and men's races to be split because ad revenue and then TV time and slot time. But that said, they also use the same excuse about slot times of not being able to put the men and women on the same day. Cause we got to watch like Nordic combined or something that there's like three fans in the stadium in Norway who are the best in Nordic combined, but nobody even cares about Nordic combined in Norway. So like they do, they do, but just not live. They don't want to see it live. Um, Cause like, anyway, uh, no, I'm down. Let's dig do in there, but, but anyway, anyway, it's just, we got to make home and colon what it is. They, like the, it's the Woodstock of cross-country skiing. It's the Kitzbühel. It's the Paris-Roubaix. Like, and the men and women should race together. So great suggestion. Now let's get to Falun because we have kind of got a tight timeline before we have a special guest joining us. Yeah. I'll, I'll bury um, the lead. Catherine Stewart-Jones is going to join us later. Um, she's a pod liberty. She was on 
another podcast earlier this week. So people that are really deep into the weeds of Nordic ski podcasts, you'll recognize her voice, but we're really thrilled to have, um, Catherine joining us. She's really had a great season this year and really broken out top has a top 10 on the world cup. Like I just repeat over and over and over. Once you have top 10 results on the world cup, you've, you you're elite. You're truly, truly elite. When you, when you're knocking on the door, then you're knocking on the door with podiums and that's a really big barrier to break in cross country skiing. So we're thrilled to have her, but let's try and break down some cross country skiing. what do you see? Let's start with this. I guess let's start with the 10 Ks. eh? Yeah. Um, why don't we start with the men's 10k um just for change and we can talk about uh Johannes Kleibo smashing an individual start distance race i mean it's pretty fun to watch I, uh, you know from the very beginning ben ogden setting laying down some really eyebrow raising intermediate times and you know keegan randall talked about it a lot on the on the broadcast i mean ben ogden faded a little bit in the last couple kilometers but it wasn't you know the wheels didn't come all the way off they just started kind of uh you know shimmying a little bit um and you know you see ben ogden at leading the race at 1k at 3k at 5k um and i i just like i i think that men racing 10k has been one of the positive developments of this year like i feel like i could complain about six things uh but i'd like to be positive about at least one thing and i I feel like it makes for some tight racing it makes it competitive for some of these sprinters to be in these races and you know in some ways i'm like well is that really fair to people like hans christer holand who like it's not like he gets to jump into sprint races and be competitive um but i think it's cool to be able to see that and then you know you have some of these guys uh that maybe are not going to be quite as, uh, quite as much contenders in the, in the super long races who can really mix it up. So yeah. Um, uh, Clybo kind of coming back from, I think a, a tougher weekend in Holman Cullen to just really remind everyone that he wins more than half of the world cup races that he enters. And, uh, I don't even have a, I don't have a, a start list, the uh, uh, results. No, but from... I mean, it was, but I, I do, I'll just jump in. I mean, it's true. Like the, the, what Clay were reminding us of just how great he is, but, but, uh, Falun is a special course because it, it ends the, the closing kilometers of Falun people that have been watching world cup for a long time. Falun is a storied venue as well. Like it's a, amazingly storied venue the world cup has been going there forever had world championships a few times like it's 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 definitely a, a if if homo colon is the mecca of cross-country skiing then then i mean it's it's pseudo mecca it's still a, it's still a really big deal to race well in falun but it ends with like it's really special it's almost old school too actually they've you know they've redesigned the courses and stuff and and it's it's you know very modern because they had the world championships in 2015 in a lot of ways but it's still, you lose a lot of elevation in the closing kilometers. And that's not super normal in a World Cup course anymore. And Klebo puts over 10 seconds in the field. Like, okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it really felt like he put 10 seconds on the field in the last 900 meters. And that last 900 meters has like, it seemingly a minute 10 of work in it. Not even, I would say like 50 seconds of work just and it would just 
highlighting how good he is on his skis, but the fact that he was able to smash the field in the closing kilometer or last closing kilometer and a half, if if you don't want me to exaggerate as much, is is really highlights that he has changed the game. He has he has completely changed cross country skiing. And and while people every once in a while, you know, we saw him get beaten sprint this year. You know, he didn't win an individual gold medal at the World Championships, which is a huge goal of his. But this progression he's made about carrying his speed through corners and being agile and good on his feet. It's unmatched. It's completely unmatched. And that was on full display again here. I mean, he looked great the whole time he was controlled, yeah. composed, like he was going to win yeah. this, but, uh, but still it was the closing, the closing sections of this race on a very older school course where they're losing a lot of elevation that really stood out to me i do agree with you though what you're saying about like hans christer holding the 10k like i mean it's tough for hans christer but i agree man like like i've said before like before the season started i was crying into my soup about the death of the 15k classic one of the most iconic races in skiing and i don't really miss it really i mean like if these 10ks have been great and it's a it's kind of like a shining star of the men's distance races because most are lame and and then and, and this was great I, I thought it was cool to see Amundsen on the podium he's not known to be a classic skier and he's got a real chip on his shoulder like we talked about in previous podcasts the silver medalist in the 10 in the 15k skate at world championships but he's a skater and I thought it was pretty cool that he stomped like like a, it was kind of an f you <laughs> you know it's like you leave me off the relay you leave me this you think I'm only a skate skier like now this happened. I beat Paul Goldberg, who's arguably the second best classic skier in in the World Cup field, but uh, behind Claybo. Um, yeah. And and then uh, and then seeing those those uh, both of those Finns, uh, yeah, Heverinen and uh, and Ristamati yeah. Hakala, like Heverinen, yeah. uh, like those guys have been kind of knocking on the door periodically this season. Yeah. But then to see them both like smash yeah. this race and like Heverinen was, uh, you know, he was just four seconds from. The podium like I don't know that guy I don't know much about him other than that he has just an absolutely stupendous stash and seemed to oh, yeah. really be um enjoying himself at Holman Cullen he like raced maybe like one or two out of six laps and then dropped out and was you know eating waffles and drinking beer and uh just oh, yeah. I'm like more, more seems, of that please Hervinen seems like you know he's he, he you know he just runs show in the sauna like, you know, he's the one with the birch, the birch boughs in his hand. Like he's doing the slapping of the birch of the birch boughs in the sauna and like crushing everybody in the sauna with a stash like that. Like no one's out sweating Hirvanen. He's had a great season, had a ton of top tens this season, and he's had a couple good years. I mean, he's definitely been improving a lot, but I agree with you, like stable top 10 and fifth and so close to the podium. This was a fantastic race in Ristomadi Hakala who has been great in the past, been a great classic sprinter, been good in these distance classic races, really struggled with illness and, and small injuries that have really derailed the last two seasons for Hakala. And the Finns, you see how good they can be. We saw it in the relay, of course, with um, uh, at World Championships. But if you have these guys firing on all cylinders, like a Hakala, Niskanen, Hirvinen, who can actually skate, and um, and um, uh, the young Finnish, I'm forgetting his name. I know his name is Antti, but like, uh, what's his name? World Junior Antola. Champion. Antola. Antola, who I just love, like, what a beast. 
So, I mean, they're going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be good. There we go. Yeah. They just decided to do some like hardcore paving paving snow removal directly in front of my house while we, I love it. I can't hear a thing. It sounds great to me, but so, and then the other things too, like Ben Ogden, you know, like Alex has been, I wish Alex could jump on the pod. Cause like he's been kind of chirping Benny about his tactics. We talked about it a bit in drama and like, in one way it's cool that he's like, I'm getting to the semis, but he's been in a lot of semis now. And like Ben is good enough to be top five in these races now, like, and not just one off once in a while, like he's showing he's strong enough and I get it. He, I love that he's full of like piss and vinegar, you know, and wants to give her, but I, again, like seeing what he did in, in, in drama in one way was like impressive. We talked about that, but then to do like, a similar kind of quote unquote mistake with his effort in Falun. It's really gutsy. It's really fun to cheer for. It's really kind of fun to watch in a way, but what he had a much better body than 13th in, in that day, if he would have just disciplined his, his efforts better. And then Callie Halverson, like not to pick on him. We haven't picked on him that much this year because he's just been like a quite a resurgence as well. But this was what what in God's name were you doing with your pacing Calais? Like Cali also started like a bat out of hell look great too. And like, but like just crushing splits, but like really crush, crushing splits early in this one only to completely come unglued and end up all the way back in 10th. I mean, the way Cali was skiing, he 100% should have been on the podium. He was strong enough to be on the podium. He was skiing well enough to be on the podium. He paced this thing like a junior and he's not like he's, he's 34 years old. Like you can't make or 30 he's in his 34th year. You can't make mistakes like that when you're such a seasoned veteran. And Ben is not a seasoned veteran, but this is a strategy he's used a lot. Like I feel like a couple too many times this season. And I'd like to see him get paid for his fitness with a bit better result by being a little, just a, just a tad more, keep it, keep it together a little bit more and be a bit more disciplined. But anyway, it was, it was exciting to watch. We got to, we got to, um, you know how I, I, sometimes I watch the races at double speed. We got to go through the rest yeah. of these races. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm just going to do a quick shout out to like Tony, Tony Sear, who uh, had some disappointing races individually at the, at the world championships. Cause he got sick just before, I mean, 20th place. I thought it was a super solid race. Like you said, Matt, super tight, super tight racing. <clears throat> Antala, the junior from Finland in 23rd. So he's, he's mixing it up in there too. So um, there was some other fun stuff going on in, in the men's race, but let's just get to the women's 10K because we got it. You're right. We got to get through this before Catherine jumps on. And then and we're going to have to ask like more different styles of questions, but the women's race also exciting. I don't know. I, let's just bury the lead right here. Jesse Diggins race of the day. That was amazing. She looked like, she looked like Clybo out there with the level of just kind of poise and skiing like someone who, had a plan knew exactly what she was doing it was it was fun to watch yeah and it was tricky conditions and i think the thing that blew my mind is like jesse has really struggled in her classic this year and i've been not shy to share my feelings because their technique has just looked bad in most distance classic races and she showed today it's like yeah a little, a little bit like uh amundsen in that classic race where it's like yeah you think i can't classic like check this out like she looked good. She looked like she belonged, finishes fourth and keeps this overall world cup race kind of alive and well, although I think the gap might just be too far. I think it's, you know, Tyrrell's 10th race. Yeah, I know. Tyrrell's 10th. She's not losing. She's not losing that much time. And it ended in the Trudisky 
And we talked about that ad nauseum during the tour de ski that once those races just went to total hell, that that was Diggins's chance there, but you never know. But I thought it was an amazing classic race. Fun to see her pop that one off late in the season. Kirtu Niskanen too. I mean, like she smashed this too. Winning by 15 seconds, looking great doing it, looking super motivated. He was talking in, in the exit interviews and stuff about how motivated she was for this race, even late in the season. I th- always think that's Henning too. Great for Germ- the, the German classic, but well, she's not just a classic specialist, but she's, she was firing on all cylinders too in classic, which was great. Cause I really had high hopes for her at world championships individually in the classic races. And she just, you know, I, I felt like in the 30 K classic or like, I really thought that that Henning would was going to be like fighting for the win. Just didn't have that sharpness in that race. Whereas in Falun, she looked amazing a couple of days ago. I don't know. And then Anna Steve back on the podium. She's, she's another one of these, athletes that is having just like a phenomenal season i want to hear your thoughts on like sundling though because sundling's back on like good distance form with with a with a fifth place finish only five seconds behind they seem like an oreo you know there you got uh diggins and sundling and brennan like fourth fifth sixth and the one thing that jumps out at me is like the best sprinter in the world of the last five years is is fifth in the distance race and it's kind of what we saw last year but she's with her with her uh illnesses and stuff this year like she just doesn't have the same base, but this was a hell of a race by, by Sindling. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like, uh, this is what we saw from some, this is what everyone wanted to see from Sindling after the end of last year. And we didn't get to see it this year. And, you know, hopefully this gives her that inspiration. She needs to kind of go back to the drawing board for training this spring, summer, fall, so that we can see her at, at this level and maybe even see her make a jump over the summer that actually like moves her up on to the podium i mean she looked she didn't win the sprint and we'll get to that but she just looked so awesome in the sprint i mean i i feel like i don't know i mean she's had these moments of brilliance this season but it hasn't been like quite the same level of dominance as it was last year even if like those flashes are there and i don't know i mean i'm i feel like one take home from the end of of this ski season is just how exciting women's sprint could be next year with she like just absolutely breaking out star is born level of, of amazingness. And maybe we just move into the women's sprint on that, but like, you know, something I I could not believe I, I watched the women's race, the women's sprint this morning, like knowing that she sad had won, but like was watching the whole final being like, how like something is ahead by like, 15 meters. How does like, how does this happen? Like she's got the draft is gone. Like what is going on here? And then like, she saw just like reels her in and reels her in and reels her in. And I, you know, those, those two, like such, such different skiers, uh, different tempos, different sizes. And the fact that, you know, they are doing this racing in such different ways and kind of getting to the finish line in the exact same amount of time like i'm so stoked to watch more women's sprint racing next year i just think it's going to be awesome so sure. I, you know, I it, it is it is sweet because like the swedish dominance in sprint has been so complete that it's cool to see norwegian finally maybe for like i mean mart bjergen for the first time since mart bjergen really having someone that can really compete at the highest highest level in sprinting and honestly on, on the women's side and honestly it really was mart bjergen and no one else like yeah you'd have names Norwegian names could be good every once in a while that's not what I'm saying but I'm saying like you said like with panache like throwing down and stomping things that like doing things that that yeah 
make your spit out your coffee because you're like this isn't happening oh god it's happening oh god it happened like we saw in the women's sprint before we just jump head first in the women's sprint i had to give a shout out to novi mccabe coming from ncaa's back onto the world cup comes 14th like right off the right off the plane from upstate new york where the uh, ncaa's were happening is that i an amazing performance by Novi, honestly. And then we we talked about Rosie. I mean, sixth. I mean, she's just been so solidly good the whole time. And Bergama that we saw eleventh, the young Norwegian that was lighting up home and colon. Uh, pretty cool to see her in eleventh too. So there's a lot. Of, it was like it was a fun women's ten k all around. It wasn't just in. Um, it wasn't just all on the front end of that race. There was a lot of lot of fun tight racing there. About Novi McCabe and NCAA's and that whole thing. I think it was pretty hilarious to see the contrast. Like, so Novi McCabe raced well at, at NCAAs, but so did a Canadian Remy Drolet. And he jumped on a plane as well. And he raced the Birkebiner, not just swing back to ski classics again. <laughs> but he would have been, he would have been ninth in the women's race and lost to Astrodeur Schlin by like 10 minutes uh, in the Birkebiner. So the NCAA champion, uh, from harvard didn't really more, convert didn't convert like novi mccabe converted so or uh, uh more just, time in the gym pumping iron saying, remy, oh, to, oh yeah oh remy to... remy just needs to eat i mean like he's way too like so skinny and that that's a bad joke but he's uh because i'm not trying to make jokes about that he's just a little guy like you said but yeah he got he got smashed at the Bergbinder. but novi amazing races there and then yeah man what can you say let's let's just get into the sprint do you want to do the women's then first or what do you want to do yeah, I mean, I feel like we've got we've got five minutes to get through three races. So I feel like yeah. we, I just gave you my rundown of the way that played yeah. out. I mean, you know, one thing one Love thing it. I actually do really want to say is like I feel like between the men's sprint, the women's sprint uh, and the mixed relay relay, I'm really looking forward to the this race in the city sprint in Tallinn this week because I read that um, everyone is going to be on like mashed wax uh, sources, yeah. waxing everyone's skis and. I just felt like I read some stuff after world championships too. I'm watching these races like Norway had absolutely heinous skis. Uh, I thought um, this weekend and it just like, it's, it, I, it's kind of ruining the sport. Like why, why does the team that has the best athletes, the most resources, the most skis, the most stoke everything, why do we need to allow them to spend, you know, order of magnitude, more money to give themselves more of an advantage than they already have? Like, I'm sorry, everyone should be on match skis at this point, matched wax. Like it's dumb. You know, we're like, we're like, oh God, what could we do to make this sport more even and to get Norway, like a little bit less of like top all 10 in the men's race. Like you don't actually have to look very far. It's the fact that they have like you know, 10 techs in a truck. And I just, I felt like, uh, I, you saw that in the, in the women's race, you saw that in the men's sprint, you saw it in the mixed relay. And I really wanted to throw that out there. Cause it's just, yeah, it'd be interesting. Cause like, you know, like living with a Norwegian, like, like Kristen's like would, well, she's too chill to really come hard at you, but that, but she said like, you really, she would say, you really think it's going to change anything like, she, but it, it, but it'd be interesting to try. So let's, let's wait and see. I mean, because you're absolutely right. Like Norway does have an advantage in their equipment because they invest in, in this big time and they're on the cutting edge of it. And I, I compare it all the time to F1, right? Like, are you surprised that the Red Bull car and the engine is so good? Like you shouldn't be, or, or that McLaren has been, McLaren Mercedes has been at the top. They're not right now, but like in the last few years, like there's a whole bunch of regulations in F1 yet 
like the Red Bull cars or, or McLaren Mercedes is dominant or has been, and even with the regulations, but again, like you like to your points, like, yeah, because their budgets are in all F1 budgets are insane, but like, especially these teams I'm mentioning and where do they're getting, they're pooling talent, they're pulling talent and their marginal gains and they're doing everything they can also outspending everyone doing it. And, and, you know, like that's, that's what the Norwegian like Armada does too with their equipment. So it will be really interesting in Tallinn to see if it, it makes a difference what, whatsoever. I, I always get a little curious though, about like when we have like standardized wagon, you could do it. I'm just really curious because like not every tech's the same. That's the other thing too. And if you're going to do the whole world cup field in a distance race, in a classic race or in a skiathlon, let's say, you know, like the 20th best, there is a ranking list of people waxing skis. And it's like, like, the best Norwegian waxer is probably a lot better than like Johnny Italy that that's been teching for four years. But if you're waxing the entire world cup field, somebody's going to have to get their skis waxed by Johnny Italy. If we're going to just, if this is just going to take over and say, okay, we're going to hire 40 techs from all different nations. And it's like, man, even though the wax is the same and everything is the same, like application is a huge, huge deal. And, how you do it. So uh, it'll be interesting, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, but this, but about so, the sprint again, like yeah. we just, like cover the sprint. She studs amazing. Like, and I thought it was cool what you're saying. Like she does it in a so totally different way than Sun Ling, but you know what I mean? Like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a good basketball player. And so was Magic Johnson. They played on the same team. So like, it, it's not the best, maybe, maybe I should say like Kareem and Larry Bird or something who played for the Celtics, but like, so yeah, she stabs Kareem. <laughs> like, there's no question. She's tall. She's huge. She has like massive power and big glider. Whereas like Sunling is uh, also incredibly strong and not the smallest person either. But like d- does things maybe more traditionally. Like like you you see that Sunling is hitting her angles and her power, and it's you just see the mastery at work. Whereas like she stabbed almost looked like she's in zone three all the time. But yep. you know who else looked like that? Like Thomas Allsgaard back in his day when he was at his best in 98 and stuff, like he looked like he was going zone three and he would be winning the Olympics. So like it's, uh, but it's super interesting. I agree. It's going to be super fun. I thought it was also fun to see Fenrich back in it uh, fourth. Like she had those three wins in a row earlier in the season and, and feels like maybe she came off a little bit, but she didn't really. I mean, it was uh, fourth fourth and that sprint was great and then like Dahlquist on the podium I, I love how like we're disappointed in like Dahlquist season like Dahlquist has like a solid season but again like when you win five world cups in a row in previous seasons and that sort of shit like when you have like a podium let's say a third of the time in the world cup we're like oh man tough season for Dahlquist so well, like but I I I mean I feel like she's been actually really good I mean you know something and she's at her in another level but you know the the fin- some of the finishes that uh that uh Dahlquist has had have just been really awesome and I, you know she's just racked up third places so um yeah so speaking of, racking, speaking of racking things up Catherine Stern Jones has been racking up personal best this whole season. So Hi. thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. How's it going? Are you kind of, you probably lost your voice with all your podcast appearances. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is, it's, it's a tough one to make, but uh, I'm here. So um, hopefully the fans are happy. 
Nice. Oh, for sure. They will be. We have to ask you though, like, where are you right now? Cause we were just talking about the move to Tallinn in a couple days. Um, uh, yeah. where, where are you? Are you still in Falun? Or are you on the East side? No, of we're at the Stockholm at Stockholm airport, actually. Uh, Ooh, and I'm leaving tomorrow. Yeah. I'm in the hallway of my very dark hotel. Um, yeah, so the lighting's not so great. But yeah, the team is in Stockholm and uh, most people are heading to Tallinn tomorrow. And then me and Avi are actually going to straight to Lati. Well, that's too bad because I think Tallinn, uh, old city sprint is like, it seems like it'll be a good time. I don't know what alcohol they're ripping shots of in, in Tallinn, but I'm sure they will be ample and available. So, um, you know but maybe better recovery to just be able to go one place and not have to race again. So. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely think it would be cool to go, but uh, yeah, it makes sense not to. And I, I think a, a skate flat city spread is probably not my best chance. So I'm sitting this one out. <laughs> oh, that's fair. And then one last big, one last barn burner in, in Lottie and to close out the world cup season. And that, that's always exciting. But I have to ask Yeah, Lottie's you- awesome. Yeah, Lati's an it's a great place. Like that's what we were talking before you jumped on a little bit. Like, you know, you have these classic venues, like Home and Colon, of course, is the the big daddy. But Falun and Lati, I mean, like such a rich history of international skiing in these venues and, and the courses are great and the fans are great and it's a uh, always inspiring places to to be racing. But I, how how are you feeling? I wanna just jump right into it. Like people know what it's like they don't actually know but we talk about it a lot like how north americans have like a yeah you could look at it as a disadvantage or just look at it like what it is it's just a you guys are under different demands than european athletes you can't just go home at the drop of a hat and that sort of thing and and when things are going well like we all know in anything in life when things are going well it's kind of like you don't think about anything at all and then if things aren't going quite as well as they were going earlier in the season then you start looking at your calendar and being like oh my god get me home but um, I don't know, like, how do you feel with this, uh, with this season closing out? Are you stoked for Lati? Are you kind of like, I'm kind of stoked, but I'm also kind of stoked just to end this and just like be done with it. Yeah, I would say a bit of both. I mean, I got to go home a bit in the middle of the season. So uh, I was a bit more refreshed from that. But um, the second half of the season hasn't been quite as good for me. There's been some some glimpses of hope, but then a lot of kind of ups and downs. But uh, yeah, I'm actually excited for Lati because uh, it's just, there's just like some, there's always that extra energy going into the last race. Like, oh, we're, we're almost done and the courses there are so fun and the crowds are so good. So yeah, I know it should be fun. And um, yeah, my body's just been feeling, feeling really up and down. So um, you just never really know at this time of year what's going to happen. Well, I mean, what about, what about the, when you, I'm curious, I always should talk uh, anyone who is from North America who goes home during the middle of the season, because I completely understand having spent a mere three weeks in Europe, like how nice it is to like go back to your fridge and your friends, but also that like, you know, if I got on a plane in three days and tried to fly back to Europe, like I would be dead. I would be sick and I would not be um, winning the Tallinn city sprint. And that would definitely be the only reason that I wouldn't be winning the Tallinn city sprint. Um, did that mess you up? Like, do you feel like that messed you up in any meaningful way? Or do you feel like that was the right thing for, for you to do? 
I think like it was awesome to be home because yeah, it's just the comfort of being at home and yeah, being with your friends and roommates and all that. But uh, I just, I had to take a lot of time off of racing or I didn't have to, but there wasn't really much going on in Canada um, for the time I was home, except for trials, which were the week after I got home from, um, from doing the tour. So that didn't make sense. So it was a long time without racing. So I definitely found it a bit tough to get back into it. But uh, I also think that had I stayed in Europe for that long, that would be, yeah, it's a long time on the road. So I, I know that one day I'll probably do the whole season, but also just with the way uh, the Canada calendar worked out this year, we weren't really planning on doing the, the World Cups uh, before World Champs. So, um, yeah, I think that there's definitely some positives and also some negatives to, to going home. And you kind of just have to see what works best for you. And this is Catherine being very politically correct because she's she's right. The reality was like, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine, jump in. But like Canada did decide to do their prep for the world championships in Canada and just see how it worked. And, you know, once a once a administration kind of commits to that, it's it puts athletes in a pitted, little bit of a precarious position because it's probably better for your energy and your prep to just buy into it and be like, yeah, let's give it a try. Let's give it a good college try and we're doing it and I'm going to make the best of it. And it's awesome. But then if things don't work out exactly like you want, like it's, it's also tough. And then you have critics like the peanut gallery, like Nat or I, or other people being like, what, like Jesse doesn't go home. Like, why are you going home? Like taking a big risk. And these are questions. I mean, you guys, I know you guys will have meetings about this in the spring and, and look through it all. And it's, it's true though, what you say. And I think it is interesting and, and important to, to discuss, like there is positives and negatives of everything. And on the professional athlete side of things, and you still have a week of racing left. So we probably shouldn't even be talking about this, but we'll talk about it a little bit. And, but like, you know, maybe it wasn't the best call in hindsight for the world championships to go back to Canada, especially Western Canada and prepare for prop results at the world championship probably not now like if we with in hindsight um but that said you know <laughs> one you don't know before you try it two those benefits like you're talking about Catherine, and especially you've had such a breakout season really like stable amazing results week in week out till like you said the last little bit here which is still you still had some solid racing in the closing parts of the season as well you can't undervalue how much energy that is. And it is hard. I mean, I did it. I did it for like my whole career. I mean, I just spent like full seasons in Europe, like boom, boom, boom. And it's, yeah, man, it's, it's something else. I mean, it's the, you can't, you know, when you commit to cross country skiing, you kind of have to, to do that at some point, I, I, my, my perspective, but, but it's, it doesn't make it easier. So I, uh, I feel you, but yeah, about, yeah. about your breakout season, like like real breakout like like what what why do you think it why do you think it's gone so well like what is it that changed do you think this whole world cup season because you've had some fantastic results like stable in the top 30 stable in the top 20 even an individual top 10 in distance race on the world cup for women which we have not seen in canada for a long long time like what what did you expect this like coming into the season like fully honestly like we rewind back to Ruka where you're like yeah I mean I knew I was on a completely different level and it was just a matter of letting it happen or did it come as a surprise or what do you think what do you think 
Um, yeah, I, I think, think that. So well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's honestly a really good question. I think that uh, I've been asking a bit it myself. I'm not totally sure what. I think it's a lot of different things that have come together. And uh, I mean, I knew I was in good shape at the start of the season, but uh, the consistency I definitely wasn't expecting. Um, and yeah, I mean, like any training season, I had it. It had its ups and downs, and um, I was sick for a lot of August and you know, like, yeah, I wouldn't say everything went perfectly, but I think that, um, my mindset was definitely different. I, I think that especially in North America, we put so much emphasis on, um, Olympic years and world champs are just not as big, um, for anybody who, you know, is interested in amateur sports, um, schemes off the map other than at the Olympics. So I think that there's definitely a lot of less pressure and, for me last year going into the Olympics, it felt like this is something that I I have to go to the Olympics. If I don't like, what have I even done with my career? And I was so close to making it last time. And I think the focus was so much on that rather than just, yeah, kind of, uh, on, on the rest of the performance and, um, yeah, just a lot more pressure. And also with COVID, I think it was the last couple of years have been really stressful. And this year, I feel like the entire summer I was able to do a lot more training camps and train with more people and not have that extra stress, um, which is huge. And I think it's also just the accumulation of years of training. And I started kind of doing my volume, like a lot of volume later in my career. Um, I really didn't train that much uh, when I was U23. Um, And so I think it takes a while for that volume base to kind of show its effects in racing. So yeah, I think that's also part of it. So a bit of mindset. yeah, just training load. And, um, honestly, we have such an awesome team too. Like the team has had such great results the last couple of years. And obviously that creates some momentum and, um, yeah, helps with, uh, getting some good results. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like, you know, exactly like the things you did this year that you need to do again next year, or is that definitely going to take some forensic analysis once the season is over? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I'd do anything crazy with training. So, um, but I, my focus really has been to nail the, those things that I have, like, I've had some pretty big gaps, I would say, um, in the last couple of years that I've been trying to close, like technically I was just not a good skier at all, <laughs> like even a couple of years ago. And that's something that I've really worked on and I think has made a huge difference. So I feel like every season it's, it's always about consistent training. I think consistent training leads to consistent racing that's always how I felt um and so yeah consistency in training and just making sure to focus on those things that will make the biggest difference in in racing and so that obviously changes a bit every year depending on um where I find my weaknesses are but yeah well I think it's also like I think it's really interesting you said mindset because like I was talking with with uh some of the staff especially in period one watching you race and I've been so impressed with like your fight in these races. And I saw it like really on full display in the mass start in Lillehammer when you were in that lead group and, and for periods of that race, like you were, you were in the lead group, but you were hanging like on a thin, thin thread on the back of that lead group while people were drilling it. And you really bit your teeth and, refuse to give up. And I think that's something that 
that's a huge change that is really impressive to see. So uh, that's interesting to hear you say that too, that you said like it was a mindset thing, not just in the racing that is on full display for people that know you or people that know cross country skiing can see it up close, but, but that it's something that you carry through the whole season. You got like, that's uh, it, it shows like the, 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 the variables are so many and the, <laughs> the needle you're trying to thread is so small that it's, it's hard to, to make, to understand how those small changes can make a big impact in a season. And that was, that was really cool to see about moving forward. I mean, it's been kind of like an interesting journey for you too, like to this level, because you had so much potential and you've, you've definitely been on the radar, but just the way, well, I'll just say it like the mess that has been like Canadian cross country skiing prior that they're finally trying to get their ducks in a row. And they, I think they're doing a good job, honestly, now, finally. And I think there's like, they're working to create a more inclusive and better philosophy. And I think, I think by and large, they're, they're succeeding right now, which is really exciting and something we really needed, but like, not just yourself, I'm not going to put you just on, on the spot, but like you and other women that showed promise and then would be kicked off the national team or like lose their funding and then have to fight or like appeal your way back on and all this sort of things like that just takes so much energy as well. And you got caught up in this earlier in your career as well. A little bit like we've talked about this before with, with Rosie Brennan that went through this and with even the USS, the US ski team stuff. But now you are no question the leader of the women's team. And you have some people that have been by your side in training and traveling that have retired like Daria Beatty's, uh, she stopped. And you're definitely <clears throat> going to go into the next season as like, the numero uno on the women's side in skiing in Canada, like, and alone on, in that role, as far as like leading the charge, but you have like Jasmine Lyons and some other fun, exciting young athletes behind you. I mean, Lillian's there with you guys in the world cup. There's a lot of fun, exciting names, but have you, th have you thought a little bit about that? Like, Oh my God, like I am all of a sudden, like, you're this, you're the Sarah Renner, like you're, you're like the Becky, like you're, you're the leader of the women's program coming into the next season. How, do, how does that sit with you? Is that exciting, a little scary or not something you think about all that much? Yeah, it's not something I've thought about a ton, but at the same time this year, um, yeah, I was already definitely one of the older athletes. Obviously Daria was around for the season and Olivia too, but um yeah, I, I have a lot of confidence in the next generation of girls like those Kilian and Jasmine, they bring so much good energy and just like they love to be there and they love to race, which um, is super fun to see. And I think they have just a really good mindset, which is key. So that's exciting. And um, actually, even like the, this past year, I've had the opportunity to hang about, hang out a bit more with the younger crew with some camps that we've done with the development team. And then I went to a, a prospects camp, which is for the, some of the younger athletes in Revelstoke and BC this summer and got to meet a lot of those athletes. And um, I, yeah, I'm excited actually to be, obviously it's, it's a bit scary to go in. Um, I wouldn't say I'm completely alone, but definitely as like the consistent world cup athlete alone, but I'm also hoping that we'll be given opportunities to some of those younger girls uh, on and off so that, you know, I'll always have people around. Um, Cause I think that's also key just to have a, uh, a couple of at least 
two or three women on World Cup at all times that it keeps the I think that uh, it creates a better team dynamic in general to have, um, you know, a good amount of women and men on, on the team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a bit scary, but I also think that I'm going to have to look for some other training opportunities. Um, I'm not totally sure what that's going to look like this year, but uh, that's my plan for the summer is, you know, have some opportunities to train maybe with some other teams or yeah, with some girls from other countries. So we'll see how that goes. I'm curious too. Um, I mean, having heard a little bit from Devin and others about, uh, I mean, I think I can just say what a kind of mess the Canadian like high performance system has been for the past few years. Like um, <laughs> you can duck this question if you have to, from a political standpoint, but like, uh, are you getting enough support and do you expect to get enough support next year to be able to kind of maintain uh, this like high level of training and, and racing? And does it feel sort of sustainable for you at this point? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that it has been pretty stressful, I would say the last few years of just being not knowing whether I'll have the support and actually even this year for me to get Canada carding, which is actually the standard that is set for um, receiving that carding is set by Sport Canada. And so after eight years of carding, which I've had, uh, you have to meet this a certain just, standard. Just to explain for listeners, like this is basically yeah. like a way to get a way for you to get paid as a professional athlete by the Canadian government, right? Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't call it professional <laughs> athletes in Canada. It's amateur, but yeah. So this money is given to a bunch of different amateur sports and you have to meet a certain standard um, and it's money that you get from the government and it's a, it's a monthly allowance. Um, and so for me to meet that standard this year, I had to get two top 12s on world cup, which at the start of the se season did seem really steep. And I actually remember sitting down with um, the high performance director in Canada at, at the start of the season, actually at the start of the summer, cause he, I had to sign a, a document saying that like I accepted those standards and, if I didn't meet it, I would lose, lose the money. And, uh, I remember just telling him, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm fine. I'm just going to take some risks this year and hope for the best because I have nothing to lose. And, um, it did end up working out. So I think that, yeah, I, I, it's definitely not a guaranteed thing every year to have that support, but at the same time, like I want to continue improving. And I think that if I do, then, um, hopefully I'll continue getting that support. Just to jump in with that too, for people, because like that is a system I <clears throat> know super well. Like, <laughs> we don't need to get all into the criteria of carding and who's like setting like setting the the standards and for who who gets paid this money. But let me be perfectly clear: like, this money helps a ton for sure because it's a lot when you have other expenses as well. But if you think that this money is like you're making bank and, and like living a, a, a like a, even like a decent life, like, no, the, the money from the Canadian government is minimal and it can help you pay your rent that it can. And if you live in Camore, some food, but not much. Maybe if you live in the East, a little more food, but really like it, it will not cover your rent um transportation costs food costs and some education it will not cover that it's 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 a minimal stipend but it's it's better than nothing and it's better than other countries have for example the us has no program like this of course as as we know and 
and even countries in Europe, like Norway doesn't also doesn't have like a, a we have, we have like, we have really good uh, universal healthcare here that takes care yeah. of all, all the uh, athletes. So it's, yeah, it's exactly, okay. exactly. No, but it's still, but, but it yeah, is- no, for sure. It's, it's not, I mean, it, it doesn't support you completely and you obviously have to find other ways. And um, luckily I'm from the province of Quebec. So there's a lot more grants and opportunities in that sense, but um yeah, I mean, the World Cup isn't cheap. And so making it work isn't easy. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously, with performance comes a bit more, a bit more funding. So uh, that's been good. But yeah, it's obviously stressful to know that you have to, you have to keep performing to continue getting that support for sure. Oh, but and no, it's it, for sure it is and like living and this is kind of uh again like we've talked to some american athletes about this as well and and this is the thing with cross-country skiing that just makes it tough is when you're knocking on the door to those great results and now like we've said like if you're racing into the top 50 especially top 10 like that's that's like a real bar for me that like once you have individual top 10s then you're you're uh excuse my french but like you're fucking good you're a good skier if you're a top 10 in individual world cups but that journey to get to that level requires support and and that and that's the that's kind of like the crux of the whole thing and i i feel like in the us of late they definitely have solved that over over time in this development pipeline that now we're just seeing this development pipeline just kind of kick through whereas in canada now i really do i mean i do believe that we're on a better path in canada and I think if the community can get behind it and, and also like support, I think it's great. I think it's awesome. You don't have to answer any of this, but I think it's great. Like Robin McKeever is a great person to be leading, leading the national ski team. And of course it's a challenge coming in into a, a new environment and stuff like that, but he has a lot of experience and, and a great attitude as well that I think can go a long way. And then we have a new high performance director this year that we, we had on the podcast during the world championships, Chris Jeffries, and um, Stefan Brett is the is the big boss of uh, Nordic Canada right now, and and trying to you know tie these loose ends together that have been kind of flailing in space for a little too long. So it's it's a huge job, but <laughs> I hope we I hope yeah I hope for your guys' sake I hope for your guys' sake that not only can they figure it out, but also that reduce some of that that stress that like Nat was talking about. Like, can you make it work? Like, can can you can you just focus on the job you need to do? to give yourself the best chance to succeed. That's something that's been lacking uh, in Canada of late. So I, I really do hope and that, that they figure that, that they figure that out, but, but what's going to be a little lighter question, Catherine, what's uh, when I was an athlete, I was always like, what would be really hard for me at the end of the season was like two things always but like the last week of the season, the championships over. It's fun though. Like, cause you, you, especially if you're in Lati and you know, fans are going to be good and the course is good and suits you, but. Like I'd always be thinking about like backcountry skiing. Like that was my big thing. Like my big thing. I just like get back from the World Cup. I wouldn't go cross country skiing for like five weeks. I just like I don't even own cross country skis, and I just back like dawn patrol every day, or like be out backcountry skiing as much as I can till I got sick. Like literally, I caught a bad cold, and then I just book a ticket to like somewhere warm, like Hawaii or central america or mexico whatever and just like get smashed in the surf and stuff do you have any do you have any big plans this spring uh yeah actually well i'm i'm going back home and then the weekend after i'm racing uh, a couple of lopets and silver star which is really fun and it's going to be 
kind of tied into Daria's uh, retirement. So that should be fun. And then after that, I'm actually going to Mexico for a couple of weeks with some friends, which is, yeah, I'm really excited about because I tried to plan a Mexico trip uh, right before COVID hit and had to cancel. So this is, uh, yeah, my I'm going again. So I'm excited about that. Sweet. Well, Devin and I probably aren't going to Mexico, so we're going to have to live vicariously through all the cross-country skiers taking uh, tropical, well, well-earned tropical vacations. I mean, it's like, you know, it's one thing when we're like, oh yeah, you guys are racing in the sun and Falloon and in, uh, you know, nice downtown Tallinn in March, but then uh, you think back to like racing in northern finland in november with uh you know the the all white in the infamous all white finnish uh you know fish and potatoes so uh you guys have have definitely earned it i i have um i guess i have one other one other question that i would love to kind of throw out there since i mean you talked a little bit about like some of the results that you that the team has been having like collectively this year which you know it definitely feels like sometimes it's been like up and down but just like some of the ups have been like pretty spectacular like some of your results um some of the like men's yeah, team results during world championships and I mean I don't know I'm just curious like what's that like I know like a lot of those guys are um based on like in on the on the east side of the country like Thunder Bay and uh and in Quebec and like is that a group that you are um tied in with very closely like are they learning stuff from you or are you learning stuff from them like how is that all going um yeah I mean we trained together in the summer like at training camps um but outside of that uh not as much but at the same time we spend so much time on the road together that I definitely feel that I know them quite well and um yeah and I think that this year when you when you spend so much time together you just become more comfortable with asking questions and wanting to know what everyone else is doing so um yeah i think we learn from each other and obviously like the there's a bit of a bigger group of guys um that are around the same age um and so yeah it's just been really cool to see them sort of uh fight it out weekend after weekend i think that's also made them pretty strong and that yeah that relay result was insane it was so exciting and really just exciting for the whole team to see them all come together like that and those types of results really yeah create some good momentum within the team nice well thanks a lot Catherine. i think we should probably just let you get to bed i really appreciate you uh jumping on it was awesome great to see you congratulations on an awesome season and wishing you the yeah best. thanks for having me okay and good luck in Lottie. Okay, sounds good. Have fun okay. in Mexico. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. Well, does that mean it's time for us to get back to uh, uh, breaking down World Cup races? We've got like three left. <laughs> yeah, well, we have two left. We talked about the two sprint. Left. I think it was amazing. Awesome to have Catherine on and give her Ooh. perspective. But um, we can jump right into the men's. I mean... Is, is it can you get a more predictable podium than this or i guess you could have had like one of the french guys on the podium instead of allness but really Volnes the only thing the, beast. the only thing that i wanted to talk about in that men's sprint was like the final i, I mean the falloon sprint like it, that that course for the men like it almost is just sort of a mockery because 
whatever is happening in the race up to that, to the top of that last hill before you come into the stadium, like it just, it all gets messed up by that downhill in the draft. And it's, you know, that was fully encapsulated by the men's final where you literally had like, uh, I think Shanaba, I, I think I caught this. I don't know if you caught this. He he gave Pellegrino like a push at the top of the hill. Did you see that? Like I saw that too. Yeah. Pellegrino into the lead, which like, yeah. I, I was surprised that Pellegrino wasn't more pissed off by that. I think you could kind of see him turn his head and be like, dude, what's going on here? Yeah. And, you know, probably snowplow, but like, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. And I mean, that sprint basically becomes like a 200 meter drag race and yeah. was yeah. that every single time. So yeah, exactly. You know, it was fun to watch, maybe not the most suspense driven. Um, so, you know, we can just Say, yeah, no, like, no, I agree. I think I think it's totally true. I, I, I think it, and that, that's that's a criticism, especially in skating. I feel like, although in classic, it's it's also tough. But I, I feel like there's been some iconic classic sprints on the course. Whereas in skating, yeah, like it's it just doesn't loan itself to a good skate sprint course for some reason. It's I totally agree with you. It's uh, and then what's what would happen if everyone did just stop? And then, then, you know, some sucker is going to go for it and you know, he's going to get torched. And um, so I, I agree. I, I also caught that at the, on that hill. I was a bit surprised. I didn't hear much more blowback after the race, but I mean, I guess Pellegrino did beat Shanava and then also ended up on the podium after a, a kind of a tough string for Pellegrino lately after a great season, like a fantastic season for Pellegrino, both distance and sprinting, but he's, he's been in a really tough period. So Fun to see, fun to see him back on the podium. I mean, like he's uh, he, he's an easy guy to cheer for, and Volness too. I I really like Volness. I mean, felt really bad for him this year that he's you know got caught up in illness and at inopportune times his ski exploded at the World Championships. Didn't get it. Didn't get another nod with the with the team sprint and that sort of thing. So I thought it was um, thought it was cool to see Volness deliver, and then. Again, like Sweden, I thought interesting, like Edvin Anger qualifies first, first year senior. Like, I mean, like this is looking so good. And then, I don't know, just kind of got pwned by, by Hoken Ostol, which I thought is amazing. A young Norwegian, that classic move in men's sprinting. Who the hell is Hoken Ostol? Nobody knows. He's in the final. He doesn't give a shit. Like he's first in the, ever in the World Cup start for that. First guy. ever World Cup start Insane. ends up in the final. Yeah, ends up in the final and bumping Edvin Ongen, who's been had a fantastic season and actually looked poised to like, is this the day he's gonna do it? He's finally gonna get a World Cup podium individually, and it's gonna be at home because he's firing on all cylinders and he gets relegated, gets bumped, doesn't even get the chance to to race the final. Again, like Halverson and stuff too. There's a lot of big names that just like couldn't really convert. So I don't know, but I thought the sprints were, were the women's sprint was more fun. Let's be honest. Cause you just thought something had it wrapped up and didn't. And then again, I, I was a bit surprised that Diggins after a fourth place finish in, in the, in the classic race, looking so good. Look, look like, I mean, yeah. Okay. She got kind of t- like not tangled up or I'm saying, I'm not saying tangled up, but just like, wasn't, didn't look like she was moving in the pack, like quite good enough to, to be solid, like to be better, but I, I don't know, skate sprint. I, I always expect a bit more from Jesse, but at the same time, like you, you see how limited space is. That's what I'm trying to say. Even in the women's field, I think we forget about that sometimes. 
that you're like, you forget that like, oh yeah, well, if you're the women, you can just like sundling it and just crush everybody and space doesn't matter. But you know what? In some of these like quarterfinal, semifinal stuff, like <clears throat> space is limited and it's not, if you are sundling, you make it look super, super easy, but it's still tight, tight, tight racing on the women's side. And if you make a couple really like minute, I wouldn't even call them mistakes, but just position yourself, not ideally, you can get bumped. And I think that's what we saw, um, especially from Diggins in that sprint. Yeah. Um, time to wrap it up with the yeah, let's mixed wrap it up with the, with the, with the mixed relay. So I want to, I want to start it. with this one again, because, um, you know, after saying how much I like the 10 K, um, uh, the 10 K men's races, like, I feel like the mixed relay, it has so much potential, but man, the execution of this, like it's another unforced error by FIS and organizers on to put this on the calendar last year, we saw it as the last race of the season. And so everyone, you know, Jesse Diggins is in this race, Rosie Brennan is in this race today. It's like the third race in three days in a 10 day stretch with like seven races. And so literally everybody sits out and it's like, uh, it was a good race to watch, I guess. But like when those folks aren't in it, like it's kind of a snooze fest. And so there are two ways to deal with this. One is, I'm sorry, like this, I love you guys, but like somebody needs to just wake up and look at the calendar you're putting together at the beginning of the season and realize like, this isn't going to work. These athletes aren't going to do it. The alternative is put is put world cup points on it. That'll get people in the race. You know, winners get a hundred second place gets 75 third place gets 50. Like you think Tyrrell Wang and Jesse Diggins are going to be sitting out. If those world cup points are at stake, they're definitely not going to be. And so I just like it, it, it makes me kind of mad, but mostly just makes me sad because you know, the stuff like, I don't know, I I'm not, I've never been in the situation of like sitting in the chair and trying to figure out how you assemble the schedule in a way that works. And I don't know what all of the limitations and like pressures are, but looking at this from the outside, it's just like, it's inexcusable. Like this sport is already struggling enough as it is, even if we do everything correctly, like global warming, biathlon, um, attention spans, like these are all inherent challenges that you can't fix by using your brain. Whereas like setting up a calendar with like this year's Holman colon and this year's, uh, this year's mixed relay that like, doesn't make sense for the athletes and the teams. Like that is something you can fix. And so it's just really frustrating to see this happen. I don't know what your take is on this. Yeah. I, I echo your sentiment. Exactly. I mean, I think I, I, I'm actually like bullish on the, on the mixed relay. Cause I think it's an event that like more countries totally. compete in. It's fun. This one, like, like short, like four times five K it's really fun to see the likes of like some bigger name guys do, do five Ks. Like Anga is a good example of the sweet Sweden that won, we should say beating Norway by, by just under five seconds, you know, like it's fun to see like Angad, who's a great sprinter. Like, how's he going to do in a, in a 5k Ben Ogden Yeah, and Ben Ogden exactly. And then like some young guns and like, so there's a lot of fun things, but the, like, I totally agree with you. The, you've got to put it, put it in places that make sense. And also too, I think we need to really, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm not going to name the staff that you and I, Nat, were, we're talking with uh, about this earlier in the season, like live face to face, 
Um, but you know, the idea of like the amount of races there are. So you want to have the big name players play like you, you want them on the field or else you lose interest. Like you said, like if you're the Tyrell Linus Vang or like the Jesse Diggins that are in a fight for the overall, like if they're not competing, it kind of like takes a bit of the sting out of it. You didn't see also, you didn't see Claybo out there. Like these are your biggest names. It's like, who wants to go to like, who wants to see the Lakers play? If like LeBron is 100% not going to play. I mean, people still want to, but, but I'm just saying like, imagine you have like a team where like three of the five starters in the NBA game aren't, aren't going to play. And it's known beforehand. Cause they just look at the schedules. Like we're for sure not going to play. Like people don't care. I mean, and that's Fist's responsibility. I totally, totally agree. And, and, but anyway, coming back to what this person said, it's like, why don't we limit the races to at 30? I mean, like 30 professional races a season is a lot. And that's a good starting point because then you can start like organizing a schedule with a max of 30 and then also start organizing things way better. Like this relay is a prime example, the Holman colon debacle where you have like the least amount of starters in over 118 years is inexcusable for your, for your showcase race. This is 100% inexcusable and you should have seen this coming. And if you didn't see it coming, then you, then it's almost like you need to like in Scrabble when you just like give all your letters back and pick seven new ones. Cause like, if you don't see it coming, then I really question why you're in this job. Um, so, but the mixed relay is something I would like to see, to, to see stay. And I think honestly, to be, this is going to be kind of a wild thing because I don't want to see it. I don't want to see the, the men's and women's relays lost at the championships. Cause I, I, it is again, history. I'm, I, I love the history, the story, the, the old school footage, like how much it means to the country. Um, it, it, I think it's a really important competition, but on the world cup, like, I, I think, like, I think the, the men's relays or the women's relays in cross country skiing have been so shitty on the world cup the last few years, like where there's like 11 teams do it and two are Norwegian and two are Swedish and, two are now American. You know what I mean? That it's like, why the fuck do we have gendered relays on the world cup? Nobody cares. People are skipping it all over the place. Like just get rid of them. Do mixed relays like this mixed distance relays. They're fun. They're super fun. So I think we should yeah, put- and at championships. You can swap it in for like the skiathlon, which we literally like didn't see on the calendar all year. You know, I like there's yeah. solutions. And I think, you know, we yeah, should the be. Skiathlon, also- that's another thing, but I th- again, like I'm glad you brought up the skiathlon. Cause you know, that's like, that's uh, just an itch. I can't help but scratch when you say it. Like the fact of the matter is we're professional sport. You have a championship event that doesn't get one spot so so it's like it's like they're messing up the schedule so badly that you're putting these relays in here that are exciting and a really interesting idea that should be followed through on like we should see where this goes but you put it in a horrible place where no one's doing it and then on the other side you have a championship event that the best skiers in the world are unable to raise there's like 38 world cups in the season they, there's not even a, you, you don't have room for one skiathlon on this calendar. Give your head a shake. What are you doing? And then you're going to give out a world championship gold medal for this event. Like, am I high or something like this is insanity. So yeah, they definitely have to sort things out on the schedule. Another thing we need to sort out is man, we just got to like gather our energy Nat, because we got one week left. We're, we're going to make it. We, we really appreciate the buy-in from the fan, like from people, I don't know if they're fans, but, but regardless, people that listen and, and 
send us messages. It's, it's pretty exciting. I had a weird thing happen at like Berkebiner because Garrett Cuzzy, an ex um, um, U.S. national ski team athlete, kind of runs these um, these events that that takes or not takes. I mean, you sign up for them, but like, dude, does these world lot or these uh, ski classics events or like training camps uh, throughout Europe? And man, there was a lot of stoked people, Berkebiner Americans. I met a lot of Americans that were in in Lillehammer and their smile was from ear to ear. We had a perfect conditions of beautiful, sunny, no wind. Like they just had the best time of their life. But more than, more than one, I will say like, I've come up and like wanted to start discussing like this podcast project that. So like, yeah, I don't know. It never ceases to amaze me that people give their hard earned time to listen to this garbage, but we appreciate it though. That the, the, that's the, the long story. The long Absolutely. Story. So I mean, keep the, keep the feedback coming. I also, we got to, um, we got to talk about this just a little bit and I know it's, it's time to wrap up here, but, um, uh, I personally achieved, uh, achieved a little bit of a dream, uh, in the past couple of weeks was, uh, which was we, uh, convinced the ski company to give us a couple pairs of skis to test. And, uh, I took out a brand spanking new pair of mad shoes skate skis yesterday, which literally the first new skis that I have owned in 12 years. So, I mean, think about what's happened in 10 years. I mean, basically like the Tesla has been invented. Um, you know, we don't need to go chat GPT, but chat GPT. Yeah, chat, chat GPT, I mean, which basically is going to do this podcast for us starting next season. This is probably the second podcast we're doing here. But, uh, but you know what, um, Mad Shoes uh, from Norway uh, hooked us up and I took these skis out yesterday. I was the first, it was, it was hilarious. It was like the first time I, I was like, do I have a scraper? Like, I don't wax my skis anymore. Like how am I going to get the wax off these? I'm like scraping, scraping them in the parking lot and I take them out and I took them on the Spencer loop in Anchorage, which is like this kind of iconic, uh, really steep fun uh, cor- uh you know 5k loop in anchorage with like really fun twisty downhills and just the i i have been skiing they're, they're they've held up really well these like 12 year old carbon lights but like the heel plate on one of them has been like messed up for like eight years and just like absolutely ripping these new mad shoes around corners like the stability was really sweet they're super light um i am gonna rave about skis that people send me and are like use them but i mean they were sweet i don't know i don't really have anything to compare them to so i'm and i'm not uh not exactly an expert here but they felt good they felt fast and uh you know if you really really hate listening to me talk about skis that you know were free i i get it but uh no but it is interesting but it is interesting because like i think i also have been out on on the matchu skate skis and i actually raced like full disclosure like i i raced on matchus for the early part of my career before I switched to Fisher and then I raced the closing part of my career. So from 2008 to the end of my career in 2018. So for 10 years, I raced the last 10 years of my career, I raced on, on Fisher, but, and my wife raced on Matthews her whole career. Um, so it's, it's a brand that like I'm, I'm close with, uh, know a lot of the guys that work there and, um, yeah, I have, I have used their products, but of course I raced on Fisher. I love Fisher skis. I, I mean, I thought, but I, I too went out on the skate skis in the last few days and I have more skis to compare them to than you. And, and I echo what you're saying. I think it's kind of interesting that like a journalist, a New York times journalist and uh, an ex 
professional cross-country skier have have the same kind of feedback i was really surprised with it with the stability because like what i really like about fisher skis and what like what i liked when i was racing is like they're super stable and they've always been like a really stable ski and matsu so when i was on matsu's like back before 2008 so this is like like a forever ago like we just discussed like we were using nokia phones and stuff like t9 texting but uh, you know matsu's this didn't have the stability especially in skating they really didn't and these new these new skis like the i was really really impressed with the stability of them and the, how they track like when you when you weight the ski when you're right over the ski that they're you feel super bomber and solid but yeah, I don't know. Again, I never know what it's called in American, but like when you when I'm one skating up a hill where you're pulling every time, what's that called again? V2 alternate or V1 or V2? V2, V2. There you go. Well, no. uh, if you're up a hill, uh, like, not past, um, you're not you're not you're not you're not doing like that's V that's V2 alternate. That's right? V1. That's V1. V V2. V2 it's like a is like this. Yeah, V2. Yeah. V2. Okay, so I'm V2ing up the hill, and I would say like yeah, like prior you know i'm also really used to skiing on fisher so there's full disclosure on that but like i i thought they were like really like a like a market leader in, in the stability and i was i was pleasantly surprised with these matches i got i haven't used the classic skis yet so we can report back on that if people are interested and if not just just load up our inbox with hate mail going like shut up we don't want to hear like we don't want to hear like you plugging products and i i think the key is like i'm not plugging the product or anything i'm just giving you my honest feedback of like how i how i felt that they skied and and i can honestly say yeah that the stability was something that jumped out at me and it was it was surprising if i'm being fully honest i think they've, they've come a long way i mean it, it's if you do want I, I will say the same thing like this is my honest review but if you're a ski company and you want a really good review right now from a guy who's been skiing on 12 year old skis for the past 12 years and you know has nothing else to compare them to like this is a good time so um you know my who's address, gonna be knocking on your door you know who's gonna be knocking yeah. on your door nat osaka peltonen like Karu, maybe? Castle. Castle. castle? That's, yeah, castle I really yeah. want to get in on the castle situation. Yeah, exactly. But um, so, yeah, no, okay. But, uh, but more more testing is needed, but uh, it's, it, it is really interesting. And of course, like, thanks to Matsus for, for um, yeah, wanting us to jump on the skis and, and try them out. And this is preliminary. We're hoping to have some some of the guys that design the skis in Matsus and then some other brands too in, in the future to sit down and, and chat with them about, uh, you know, how the sausage gets made because that's always interesting it's interesting to hear how we think about how they ski and and feedback from other people people that are listening have any comments about the skis they have or new new skis they tried like always fun to dork out with with that sort of stuff but it's also fun to have the actual engineers and the people that are producing these things come on and and you know look under the hood i mean we've always had great feedback from our episodes with zach uh caldwell speaking of like super technical dorky conversations. So uh, we'll, we'll get those back in the feed at some point. Who knows with this project, you never know, baby, who knows when they're coming, but, but, um, but it's definitely been discussed. So we'll try and get that out at some point. Yeah. And we'll be back uh, Tuesday or Wednesday after uh, first ever Tallinn Estonia city sprint, which I'm hearing from my Estonian homies is going to be rad. And then one more weekend and then uh, we'll, oh, we'll be uh, yeah. We'll be vicariously in, in Mexico, um, but really just, you know, in our. I'll be crying as I try and get a, a D on my six hour written exam, which I'm having heart palpitations. I like I, I just reading about all these like heart 
problems. And I'm like, I think I have all these just thinking about <laughs> how little I'm retaining of this like tidal wave of knowledge that is just not just hitting me in the face, but like, like literally jamming my face into the mucky, dirty, gritty snow that was beautiful a few days ago in Oslo, but now it's raining. Like, that's what I feel like. But, so, you know, yeah. this is, this is the path you've chosen for yourself. So you can exactly. have two years as a practicing physician before your time, it's time for you to retire. So exactly, uh, you know. exactly. Totally. Or, or, or die of like a heart attack along the way with stress either way. It's, it's uh it's, it's a self-inflicted wound. It's, it's good that you remind me of that, Matt. I appreciate that. Yeah, no sweat. All right. Well, we'll be back uh, in, a, in a few days. And uh, thanks for bearing, bearing with us. If you made it to the end of this episode, like props. So yeah, yeah. We'll Captain Stuart Jones was definitely the highlight. So if you made it to the end and you like listen on like double speed, like just go back and listen to the chat with Catherine. It's great to have her on uh, and you don't need to listen to our dribble. But thanks a lot, guys. And that catch you, buddy. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back. 